Welcome to the Business Trendsetter Podcast, where we teach business owners all about trends and how to use them to grow their business. My name is Manny Turan. And I'm Adam Hartung. And we are Spark Partners. Please go to our website at sparkpartners.com to learn about how you can grow your business. So on today's uh, podcast, we have a special guest that we're going to be bringing on in a minute or so. She is a consultant and has done lots of things in the sales arena. Her name is uh, Catherine Brown. We're going to be talking to her about her new book called How Good Humans Sell. So without uh, much more time here, I will bring her on the line. So Catherine, uh, welcome to our podcast. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. And then uh, I want to go through your book and we've got some questions for you. Great. Well, thank you so much. Well, it's my pleasure to be here. I enjoy following your podcast, so I am grateful to be a guest. I am a 25-year B2B veteran seller. I've sold all kinds of products and services into different industries, and I think that sales is a wonderful, dignified profession, and I wish more people held my views about that. So... That was part of the impetus for writing the book, and I guess if I could characterize myself, I would say I'm a sales evangelist. I'm an evangelist for, for why sales is uh, it, it makes businesses come true and dreams come true. So um, I love to talk about that. Well, well that's amazing. These days, um, where are you today, and where are you primarily stationing yourself? Thanks, Adam. So I have enjoyed following your comments about Oklahoma. I lived in Oklahoma for almost twenty years, but wow. uh, yeah, but four years ago we moved to Houston. So Houston is my home now. Um, I followed my partner here, and he had a job opportunity, and it's really been great for me too. As you all probably know, it's quickly becoming the third largest city in the U.S. And so you just pick a little tiny part of Houston to do business. I can stay inside this little section in the inner loop, and I probably couldn't serve all of the people there in the rest of my life because it's such a big place. So it's been great. Well, that's good to hear. Uh, Houston is, is definitely a giant city, and uh, it's becoming, like you said, even more giant all the time. So you're in good company here because both Adam and I have a, a very, very – uh, a strong affinity towards sales, and uh, we recognize that sales is not just a, a singular platform, that it involves not only the sales personnel, but it in, involves really everybody in the team. And, uh, you know, one of the things that Adam and I talk about a lot is the idea of trends and, and really aligning your business with trends. I always use uh, the, uh, this analogy, and so I found this device the other day, and for those that are only listening, I'm holding up a Sony Walkman, <laughs> a yellow Sony cassette Walkman that I used to love. This thing is amazing. It's actually water uh, proof, not resistant or resistant, I should say. And uh, back in the day, that was the best ever, right? I could listen to my tapes. It also had a radio on it. Uh, and so I always use the, um, the analogy as if, if somehow you could activate all salespeople in the world with a special button. And you can tell them and you can command them to sell one product, in, in this case, that Sony Walkman, that no matter how much they tried, they couldn't get that to sell in, in the same way that Spotify is selling today or in the same way that uh, Apple Music or these other uh, Pandora are available. And the reason is that it's no longer a trend to have this, this modality, right? The, the new trend is the idea of the cloud, the idea of taking your music 
and putting it up to some nebulous server farm somewhere and having access to it using your smartphone. Mm -hmm. So uh, I want to start with the first question is really geared towards your book. And I want to reference that example as we continue on. What led you to write the book? And then uh, and then we've got some questions specifically about the book. And thank you for the book, by the way. You're welcome. Thank you. So what led me to write the book was that I felt like there weren't very many resources out there that talk about the other half of the sales success equation. So if you've seen the book, you've noticed that I have this very simple diagram where I have a circle and I say sales success requires you to have mastery over both parts. And 50% of the pie says um, beliefs and the other 50% of the pie says processes. And that when I say beliefs, I mean both those that are non-conscious that you practice noticing because your behavior will actually demonstrate what those non-conscious beliefs are, as well as um, the beliefs about what you believe is possible for yourself. So it's not just how I define selling, but what do I think Catherine Brown deserves to have? What do I think Adam deserves to have? What do I think Minnie deserves to have? It's just as a person. So that's, that. there isn't a lot about that. You have to follow this self-help uh, materials and sort of broader leadership and entrepreneur development materials to get that kind of stuff. And then a lot of sales training is only about the processes part. So I felt like there was still an opportunity for the marriage of those two things because I think you need both of them. Okay, we, I think we agree with that. Um, Adam, you want to dive in with some questions? I think that one of the things that happen with a lot of us when we're early in life is we end up in some situation like, oh, I'm in the position I've got to move some Girl Scout cookies or I've got to do some Boy Scout items of some kind or I've got to do something for school, you know, for the cheerleader club or for the debate club. And so you're in this position now, you're supposed to move some items and we say sell those items. And then we, what happens is we get hit with the rejection, right? You know, door to door, you're trying to say buy these things and, and, you do, and you're not getting yeses. And I think a lot of people young, very young, you know, maybe even doing this with the religious organization, you know, that they're part of trying to raise some money or with a charity, they get hit with these negatives. And I think that has a lot to do with some of the things you're talking about here with beliefs. And how do you address that? Because I think it turns a lot of people off of sales at a very young age. I agree. In fact, I didn't cover this, Adam, in the book because I just didn't have a place where the story made sense. And also I was trying to be around 100 pages <laughs> because yeah. I know that shorter, shorter is easier for people to read quickly and, and, and to refer and and so there's a, there is a formula to writing something that people will read um, quickly but I appreciate your example so much because actually when I was in the seventh grade I started that series of fundraisers because I was a band geek and um, I studied music all the way through and we sold candy in anticipation of Halloween to fund the band camp. And my mother, who, God rest her soul, is a wonderful human being, but she was a nurse and she was not into sales. And when I brought the candy home and I was so excited about winning the award, about selling the most band candy, my mother said, not only will you not take that to your grandmother's at, 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 you know, on Sunday and ask your aunts and uncles to buy this, but I will not take it to work and pressure the other nurses to buy my kids candy because I don't like when people do that to me and she wrote the check for all of the candy so that nobody else would be bothered 
True story. Wow, that's remarkable. It wasn't exactly a great way to teach you how to be a salesperson, exactly. was it? <laughs> it's very, she ended up being proud of me, although she didn't really understand what I did for a living because she was always a nurse and she didn't ever have a corporate job. So the fact that I was always selling something different to someone else was confusing to her um, when, you know, when I had a consulting firm. But, but I take your point 100%, Adam. I think... I think there's a few things that happen. I think you either have those early impressions or there's a lot of research that says that it could be a survival technique that our brains are wired for. Um, it could be because there are still bad salespeople out there who sell at people or to them and they're not really acting for them. There's a lot of reasons why people continue to hold these unhelpful beliefs about selling and I think the big question that we want the, the listeners to be thinking through is, are those non-conscious thoughts or are those conscious thoughts? And could those beliefs potentially be impacting my actions? I am making the case that I believe they do. Yeah, I'm sure they do. And I'm sure that's part of uh, the reason why a lot of salespeople start in sales and are unsuccessful for one reason or another and then back out of sales. Mm -hmm. And as somebody who is a salesperson myself, and I study sales, and I really appreciate all levels of selling, I always refer to the uh, the words of Zig Ziglar, who, if you're uh, if you're not familiar with Zig Ziglar, do a quick Google search, and uh, you'll find a, a treasure trove of uh, of information on Zig. But one of the you things he would say about half of our audience there because they're all too young, man. You do realize that <laughs> that's true. But through the power of uh, YouTube and other resources, yeah. Google. You can get a wellspring of information on on some of these uh, uh, people that have wisdom beyond uh, beyond the century here. And one thing he said is that you're born selling. From this very second you come out of the womb, you're crying, and you make your first sale. You make your first sale. So uh, making sales a, a non yucky conversation is, I think, what your book is is uh, is aiming to do. And uh, so have you had any any feedback on on the book regarding um, having an impression on somebody who, who really took it to heart? Or are you getting any pushback saying that, no, I don't believe what you're saying? What, what's your uh, feedback on the book well, from others? One thing that was interesting. So, you know, in the beginning, I have some research. I did some research myself. And so people could respond anonymously. Um, and I asked questions about I asked them to to rate what they thought about different professions with a level of respectability. They actually, these are professional salespeople. They ranked sales last of all the choices of their own profession. They also had an opportunity to um, describe different adjectives. I had a number of exercises I, I put people through. And so one of the things that I was curious about, I actually made sure that I surveyed enough people that it would be statistically significant. So I know you've had all different kinds of people on the podcast and including people who have a social science background, university background. And I wanted to make sure that somebody would not be able to say, oh, you only asked 10 people. How do you know this is true? I actually have a statistically significant sample that says that full-time business development professionals actually hold unhelpful, covert, negative opinions of their own profession, which is so sad, right? It's really sad. Now, what you do see is you see that as they get older in their career, you see those numbers of negativity go down because presumably a person, if they, if they really disliked it, presumably, I'm, I don't know this for sure, but my theory is that they go find something else eventually. And those that stick with it, figure out a way to be happy and do that. Overwhelmingly, people have said, I resonate with that. 
And and I have been surprised, frankly, I, I because I think it's rather controversial. I've, I've even had um, other people interview me and say, well, if they hate it so much, why are they doing it? And I think that's a simplistic way of describing what's happening. You can hold beliefs in a non-conscious way that influence your emotion, influence your action, and influence your results, and not have it be clearly top of mind to you. And I think that's what's going on. And that seems to be resonating with people. Yeah. And you know, I, if you go to most people and you'd say, hey, it's going to be 100 degrees in Houston today. How about we go out, pick up some ice cream, and we go sell ice cream bars to the kids at the park? Most people would not have a bad I think that was a bad idea. Yeah. They'd say, oh, it's a hot day. We're going to bring them some ice cream cone, ice cream bars. They're going to enjoy that. And we'll charge a reasonable price. You know, we're not going to try to scalp people. And they wouldn't even think of that as selling. And they would feel good about what they did. At the end of the day, but you take that same person and put them, as you said, in a business to business sale. And it's amazing how their mind can change, isn't it? It is. It really is. And I think that I really like this fundamental definition of selling. I actually got it from the integrity sales system. I think they do a lovely job. And I have attended so many other trainings over the years that I've picked up some things here and there that I like from different trainers. And I always want to give them the credit where it's due. And Ron Willingham writes about this in his excellent book called The Inner Game of Selling. And he talks about how sales is something we do for someone. And um, building on that, I've added to that with this idea that if you see sales as a means to an end for both parties to help you get to those bigger goals, those bigger why reasons in your life. I have a whole chapter in the book dedicated to having purpose in selling. And I don't mean meeting quota, right? I mean, how does it tie to that Simon Sinek kind of why? Because you all know the stats. You work with startups so much. I know you have all kinds of clients around your platform who have these dreams of launching a business and people's businesses do not go under because they have a bad idea, right? They go under because they didn't make enough sales. And so many founders especially are pretty crushed to find out they actually are the only seller for a while and they don't get to just deliver the product or service or invent things They actually have to also be the seller. And that breaks their hearts really like a little piece of them dies inside when they find that out because that didn't, they didn't realize that was part of the equation because that that's not what they signed up for. Yeah. We see that quite a bit. We see that in uh, some of these startups that we support and these, these early founders. And uh, it's really interesting, especially if the founder has a strong uh, technical background. Uh, it's almost like the more technical they are, the more they think that sales is this sort of nebulous thing that that's out in the corner and, and they try to do it and they, 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 they don't really have a, a good process mm-hmm. and they end up failing. And it reminds me of my own journey in sales. So I was a, I'm a mechanical engineer by education. Um, I was working at a, at a test lab. I was running a small test lab in this aerospace company and I was using a software platform um and i was really good at it as a matter of fact and i went to a a, a kind of a lunch and learn event and i i knew more than the sales guy did and i was challenging him and it was kind of a fun playful situation although part of me felt like uh the robert de niro character and kate fear in the back of the theater with my cigar heckling the screen but whatever he asked me down after that and he said hey would you be interested in sales and i thought to myself and i remember the exact moment that i said this i said me sales I said, dude, I'm an engineer. And he says, well, why don't you meet me out for a beer later on? We'll talk about it. I went out and I talked to him and he gave, gave me the, um, the stats of 
here's how much more money you'll be making. And I said, okay, I'll give it a shot. <laughs> but it, it wasn't until much later in my career, we're talking about several years after that, when I was already a salesperson, I was already out there hustling, that it really clicked for me that I was giving uh, not more than just, it was more than just a transaction. I was actually giving value to the people I was selling to. That's right. And that's when for me it clicked. That's awesome. Manny, I think too, the more technical someone is and the more technical the product or service is, the more the, the more people tend to think that it's the technical superiority that's why someone buys. And so that's why people rush to demo and they're very anxious to show their screenshots or, you know, you'll go to drill bit websites in Houston. They have all these pictures of drill bits that frankly all look the same. Really? Let's be honest. Yeah. Right? They, they, it's because they, they think that that's what will move the needle on the decision process. And so that's why I like to talk about the, the buyer's motives and values. They're always asking these questions. How will this make me look? How will this purchase make me feel? Is this going to advance my own goals for myself? And there's all those emotional reasons people buy too. I don't like the expression people buy emotionally and justify logically. I think that's dismissive of people. I, I don't like that, but I do appreciate the sentiment behind it that it is a co combination reason that people buy. One of the things I know that I've seen with founders over the years is they seem to think the product should sell itself. Mm -hmm. It's, I've invented this solution and here it is. And all I have to do is tell people it exists and they're going to rush up and buy it. And then they become very disappointed when that doesn't happen. And I think a big thing they miss is they sit there and they, they put so much effort into designing the solution. And they're saying, oh, this is what I do. And they forget to the purpose of the solution. They forget to start with a, well, you, the reason I did this is because I want to make you happier. I want to make your job easier. I want to help you save some money. You know, you, you start for this reason that I'm going to give value to the person that would use the product, but they get so involved in creating the solution that they lose track of it. And they, they, they and they don't go back to that. Right. Yeah. They, they get stuck in the, you know, well, Hey, look, I want to show you it's this small and it's, let me go over the specs again. And let me tell you what the three benefits are. And, you know, they're all tied up in that, you know, uh, that, that problem of the spec and, 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 and benefits discussion. I think you're right, Adam. I think too, and I don't do enough of this. I confess that it's an area I'm still growing, but every time I ask someone, why did you sign up for that course? Why did you ask me to speak? Why did you participate in this group coaching? I, we need to ask people all the time. So we hear in their words, what they say, because we're always surprised. Right. And, and even of, of all the amazing social science I roll into stuff and all this discussion we're having right now, I'll tell you, when I have asked people why they have worked with me and continue to work with me, the, the answers are ridiculously simple. <laughs> I mean, it's just shocking to me because I, I, I feel like, but I have all this data and the, there's all this psychology and isn't that interesting? And they're like, yeah, 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 we like that. But they will say things like, you believed I could get better. So I started mm -hmm. to believe I could get better. Interesting. Now let's take that into the companies. And you know, again, we did, you know our customer base, you know who we talk to on a regular basis. And recently we interviewed Frank Cespedes from the Harvard Business School, and we talked a lot about sales process. Mm -hmm. So let's sit here and say, okay, individuals are out there. Their role is to connect up with the customer. Their role is to identify customer needs. And their role is to make up you know, a, a discussion about those needs and how they can solve needs. 
How do we turn to entrepreneurs, small business people, and how do they, how should they start or how do they develop a process whereby they can keep one, two, three, however many people they have in the organization in the right mindset, get them in the right mindset and keep them there so that they can be effective and motivated salespeople? It's a great, it's a great question. So most, I have two answers to that. One answer is most sales trainers will have different words for it, but in business to business sales, everybody will name basically four steps in the sales process. So you might call it something else. I call it initiating, qualifying, closing, and asking for a referral. That's how, that's what I call the four stages. Some people don't make referral a stage. They actually say propose close as the last two there's there's most people agree there's four stages so everyone has to be in agreement about those things but when you start to write the material and think about how to ask questions and guide someone through that process one of the ways you can build consensus adam that is it's going to sound so simple but everyone i encounter and work with has never done this okay between marketing and selling having common language that describes the value proposition from the perspective of the buyer. So I talk about this in the book, what I call a customer-focused value proposition. By definition, the first sentence cannot start with you talking about yourself as the seller. The first sentence must start with the hope or aspiration or desired future state of the buyer or it starts with a problem that someone's experiencing. But if you follow this principle of first sentence being about them, second sentence being about us, and you take that principle through everything you write, everything you post, the way you train, the way you talk inside your company, and you're always privileging and prioritizing that person you're serving, I believe you will teach them about how you really solve deeper problems than just the software that we sell. Does that make sense? It gets all the way down into the processes, but it comes from a mindset of being a guide and saying this dignified profession that we have, we actually embody it by literally the way we write and talk across our whole organization. It should go end to end. I've heard frequently that there's a mistake made in business where we try to think that the best salesperson is the best sales manager. Yes. And that's often referred to as being a mistake. So I'd like your reaction. Are the best salespeople best sales managers or who are the best sales managers? You know, that is such a great question, really, because I think there is a global shortage of great sales managers. I, I mean, I really do. I think what we I think what you're referring to is that a common career path is we take the highest performer, we want to move them up in management, they've got to max out their commission, or we just need someone in this role. And so we say, well, that, you know, he or she should then be able to oversee other people. And often that individual performer does not really want to be a people manager or actually doesn't know how to replicate their own success among someone else, you know, among a team. So I feel like I'm a better individual performer as well than I am a sales manager. I have had other people in other businesses be under me. And I actually felt like it was very challenging to figure out everyone's individual motivations and train them. So I think the question you raised, I'm going to ask if we can make it somewhat rhetorical because I don't know the answer to that question. 
Yeah, and I think some of the the foundations of a, of a potential answer to that is is sort of uh, uh, overshadowed by some of what you've mentioned in this podcast so far and in your book and what's prevalent out there in the world in that sales is not known for uh, being a uh, a kind of career path that uh, people people take. Uh, Dr. Frank uh, mentioned a couple of, of uh, podcasts ago that there's only a, a very small handful of, of organizations that universities that have mm -hmm. sales programs or sales courses. Yes. And it's usually just kind of lopped in the end as, okay, well, now you got to go sell this. Yes. There, so there's not a real profession. Uh, there's not a professional path in mass yes. of you will become a sales manager. It's, it's people that are grown from their sales process. They do so well. And they get uh, they get elevated to the point of their uh, you know what, what's that Peter Drucker uh, principle right the the Peter principle is they're they're promoted to the level of their own um, ignorance one level beyond your competence yeah yeah the exactly. Peter principle came out in 1970s and the idea was that everyone gets promoted one level beyond their competency indicating that organizations are all run by incompetent people and at the end of the book he said and that's why I quit <laughs> but that's where it came from yeah interesting yeah yeah so uh, with respect to uh, your book who did you write it for Thanks. You know, I really, I had two audiences in mind. One is the entrepreneur who is the seller. I really do have a lot of business owners who put themselves through my classes that are, that are small companies. They're still B2B and they sell complex and, and, and often expensive things, but they have probably never invested in sales training. So that's why so many examples are drill bits and investment banking and financial planners and things that deal with a lot of money. So that's a common client. And then, and then I will have mid market size sales teams and below still often, interestingly, the partner of the firm, the owner of the firm, maybe they're big enough to have a vice president of sales and that person might be my buyer as well. So relatively small companies. I think the principles are, are you know, can be useful for anyone, but there are other books out there, and I'm sure you all, I'm sure that you all know some of them. But there's there's more that are about managing enterprise teams and um, how to manage salespeople and things like that. That's not the scope. This is for the individual person who basically wants to know how do I reconcile the kind of person, the way I want to show up with my values, how do I reconcile how to be myself, and how to sell more. And it's funny because if I had to take the theme of everything that I want someone to get out of it, it would be, don't give up. People are not noticing you as much as you think. You're letting your mind run away with yourself. Here's some data that proves it. Don't give up. Don't give up. Because people give up too soon. Interesting. I liked in the book you referenced uh, the movie Jerry Maguire. You remember everybody remembers that movie because at the beginning he says that, the, that what he's doing for the firm isn't aligned with him as a person, so he writes his manifesto, and of course they fire him. Then <laughs> 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 I think that's one of the things we kind of think about business is that if you really tried to align your beliefs and align yourself with your organization, that you wouldn't be allowed to be a salesperson, that organizations demand you be false. They demand that you um, say things that aren't particularly true, or they demand that you uh, overstretch the discussion. And I, that just, that, it's a horrible way to think about what salespeople and sales management is, and I think it's really false. Yeah. 
I do think it's false, but boy, does it permeate media, you know, movies, television. It just it, it permeates that and, and, and makes people think, hey, if I'm a salesperson, can I be a good person? Yes, exactly. So um, I have a question I was hoping to ask you all. Would that be okay? Sure thing. Okay. So knowing that you watch trends, you know, one of the things that I'm hoping will come out with the book is that I believe that with the technology of revenue enablement, sales enablement, amazing digital marketing things we can do, amazing staff management tools we can do, lead scoring, funnel building, all this tech that is out there. And I mean, there's, there's just things being developed every day that, you know, that we hear about that are to increase efficiencies in selling and marketing. I feel like there will still be a need that, I mean, my theory is that I think people can be moved further and further along in self-qualifying because of digital marketing, because of these tools, but that there will continue to be a need for humans to connect with other humans. I just think it's going to be later in the process. And so I'm very interested in what you think about the trend of my question. Number, I guess my first question is, do you see that need for people happening later? And what are some other trends that you think will impact the sales profession? I'm, I'm curious what you think. Adam, give it a shot first here. Sure. Well, I think what we've seen is that obviously people can get a lot more information. There was a time when if you wanted to know anything about buying a car, you had to go to the dealership you, you, to get pricing information, often to get spec information. Uh, if you want to know things about computers, uh, you, you, know, you just had to go talk to people to get information. You're right. Now you can get that information. Uh, but what happens is if you're really good, yeah, I can work all the way through selecting a car and buy it from Carvana and take it out of their machine. But I think for a lot of us, we get way down that road and we get down to, oh, I need one of three. I think I need one of two. I think I need one of three. And I don't quite know how to weight the variables based upon my needs. And I would like to talk to somebody about that. Yes. So I could say, this is how I see my needs. And could you help me get to that last final piece of the decision? Yes. And, uh, and I think that's going to be true for a very, very long time, because if you're making the higher the stakes in the purchase that you make, the, the less you want to make a mistake. And so the more it costs, the more you say, yeah, I could, I'd like to have somebody maybe help me out with this decision. Yeah. And I think that trend is going to continue. It's the front end is going to be requiring businesses to get the message out, explain the specs, explain the benefits, put all that brochureware information where it's easily findable, comparisons with other products should be easily made, let the customer get way down that road so that the, um, the people that are involved in making that sale can say, look, what is it you really want out of this? Are you, are you trying to improve your stature? Are you thinking about your, your family? Are you thinking about safety? Are you thinking about cost? What is the thing that's really important to you? And I can help you make a decision. Mm -hmm. What are your values? I can make you help, help you now that you're all the way at the end of the process. That, that's where I see the trend going. How about you, Manny? Um, I, I agree. And I think that uh, I'll add to that the fact that to be a, a capable salesperson in this day and age, requires you to be uh, an Olympian in the decathlon where you're no longer just coming out with one tool. You have to have familiarity in, in all the digital marketing tools and all these things that, that are out there. It doesn't mean you have to be an expert, but at least know enough about the process of where you can insert yourself into the process. Yes. Uh, people buy 
like Adam said here, if you're if you've got uh, if you're gonna buy a house or a car or some large item or even something like a wallet, having a personal connection with the with the seller will always have that ability to sway you one way or the other. Mm-hmm. And and having recently uh, helped somebody buy a car, you know, we went through the process and it was a salesperson that really was was there just giving us the the foundation of okay, these are all great cars. But in the end, uh, choosing this one is going to do this for you. Mm. And, and, and it was really, it was more than a, a solution sale. It was a provocative sale. Mm. And there's an HBR article written a couple of years ago talking about the, this idea of provocative selling mm. where you're, you're anticipating you're a step ahead of even the buyer. Yes. Of even the buyer and understanding their needs more than they do. Yes. By asking some questions. That feels and so good. I think that, Sorry, that the, the, uh, it, the salespeople will have to have more an advanced men, uh, mindset themselves in order to capture the sales. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's so interesting and important that we're saying, even though there is this amazing AI technology, that there are still people needed and that people still want to like the person they're buying from, want to feel understood by the person they're buying from because they've gotten as far as they can get before talking to a person. So now I'm here. I really want to have a great experience. And it might be quite brief, but I still need a human. And I think that's, I think that's very interesting. I see the B2B sales role has changed so much over 25 years, but that last part still requires a person for those complicated decisions or, or big right. ticket items. Yeah. Yes. And, and I knew a fellow, Jerry Focus, that was in Chicago. And for 10 years, he was the number one seller of motorcycles um, in the country. Uh, he, 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 the volume of motorcycles he sold was remarkable. And he, he did it for four different dealerships. So it didn't matter what brand he was selling. But the thing about Jerry, when I would talk to him and I learned a lot from him, and he said people would walk into a dealership and they would say, Often they do a little bit about motorcycles, not a lot. And they'd say, well, why does somebody buy this motorcycle? And somebody would say, well, it's got this engine and it goes this fast. Why does somebody buy that motorcycle? Well, it's got this handling performance and it it performs this way. And he said, what he learned real quick was when somebody said, why does somebody ride that motorcycle? I say, you know, the most popular buyer of that motorcycle is a 22-year-old young man. And he prefers that riding around the city. Why does somebody buy that motorcycle? That tends to be a 30-year-old man who likes to go for a longer journey. Well, who rides that motorcycle? You know, that's very popular with the ladies. And and when, what happened was people were trying to see how do I identify? How do I fit in? You know, where do I fit? You know, and at the end, he said, when he makes the sale, the, the last questions he would say, which one do you see yourself riding? And by then he set them up because they've been able to listen to who all the people are riding the motorcycles and they visualize themselves and say, well, I think I see myself on that motorcycle over there. And he said it never really had anything, well, price bands, obviously you had to be within a price band. But other after that, he said it really wasn't the specs. It was how people said, I want to get a motorcycle that fits me in the lifestyle and I ident- and who I identify with. And, and I just, I never forgot that because everybody else was always selling on spec. You know, how fast yes. would the bike go? How does it compare with the Kawasaki or blah, blah, blah? Yes, 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 wow. yes. It reminds me, Adam, that reminds me of my example of the fuel injection 
system manufacturer that I talk about in my book that I had to learn all of these things about cars that I didn't know about to do some consulting work with them. But they talk, the customer service guys talk to car guys. They literally call them car guys and it's mostly men and they talk to car guys all day long and they, they talk parts. But the reason that they buy from my client as opposed to someone else, their, their parts are good. There are other good parts out there too, but they feel like they're in community with this company there's a whole culture and the way that they race on the weekends for fun and the way that they invest and build their cars there's a whole identity and sort of future vision of how they see themselves that reminds me of your motorcycle example it's a great example yeah it's a great example you know we have a course our course think innovation really talks about uh, how to make more money by selling more of what people want to buy and we typically start from sort of from within from without, right? We look outward towards the the trends of what people are buying. What does the customer really want? And we start there to then make the changes inside to make sure that we are selling what people want to buy, which is not this Sony Walkman. Uh, but uh, but it looks like your your business is consulting. There, uh, you've got your uh, your book. Uh, tell our listeners and viewers how to get in touch with you. And uh, we're going to close out here in a, in a minute or two. Sure. How they get in touch with you and how can they buy your book? Thank you so much. So everything about me is on my website, which is called extraboldsales.com. E-X-T-R-A-B-O-L-D, extraboldsales.com. The, there is a link to the book from the site, but also you can find it on Amazon. It is currently available in Kindle and paperback. And in January, I will have it on Audible as well. And that's called How Good Humans Sell. So, meaning I do, I, I really do um, like to speak at events. So the ways to think about using me are sales training for events, for entrepreneurs, for sales teams. And then I do corporate classes or I have group coaching classes where that solopreneur can come and be joined with other people and take it through the same material. You just don't have to have a whole sales team in order to work with me. So um, it's training and speaking. Excellent. Excellent. Adam, any final questions for, uh, for Catherine? No, it's been, it's been a pleasure, Catherine. Thanks for being on our podcast. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Catherine, and uh, um, make it a great week. We'll talk to you soon. Thank Take you care. so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.